0: Coming up on this episode of East Screen, West Screen, we talk about a bunch of Asian people that have been invited into the Academy. Uh, Steffi wins the New York Asian Film Festival. Yay! And uh, we talk about Hong Kong Records, too, which we mentioned last time. For our films this week, we talk about a TV series, The Trading Floor. And finally, I talk about The Supernormal 3. East. West. Trade. Hello and welcome to another episode of East Screen, West Screen. This is the show where we talk about film from Hong Kong to Hollywood and some other stuff in between. I'm your host, Paul Fox, sitting here in sunny South Florida and coming to us once again from his news desk inside a cave with
1: mysterious
0: floating lights is Mr. Kevin Ma.
1: Hey there, Paul. Hi, everybody. How's it going?
0: It's going good. How are you doing?
1: Um, All right. Uh, you know, the World Cup is in full swing. Oh, I usually don't watch... I usually don't watch. Uh, I want to say football now, but actually, it's okay. Soccer. Um, but you know, World Cup. I tend to tune into to World Cup, and of course, there's a. I have an office pool at work, so I'm I'm uh, literally invested into the, the fortune of certain teams. Um, so yeah, I've been I've been watching a lot of that, and uh, unfortunately, I downloaded a game and uh, it's one of those uh, city building games, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Mm. Um, and once you start playing those and it's going well, you know, it, mm. it, it, you can't stop, yeah. Uh, but otherwise, I'm, I'm actually preparing to uh, travel to uh, Taipei for a film festival next week. The Taipei Film Festival kicks off this week, so I'll be there uh, all next week to, to watch movies.
0: Excellent, excellent. Um, and is the, the game you're playing is one of those freemium games where you gotta... You can play for free, but they trying to incentivize you to
1: pay. Oh no, no, no! I buy it. I buy it off Steam. Okay, um, so it's it's a so, it's a straight so, up yeah. buy game. Okay, it's a straight up buy, and I don't even I'm not even using a cheat code. <laughs> very <laughs> well, proud. Well, good, good on you, sir. Good on you. Um, <laughs> yes,
0: it is that we are kind of in the approaching the midst of summer. Very hot here in Florida. Very hot there in Hong Kong. And pretty much just trying to beat the heat. I've been whittling some time away um job hunting for the most part but also watching some movies I've gone last time we talked about um uh, the film Destiny so I've since gone back and pulled out my DVDs of Always um, um also known as um uh Sunset on 3rd Street Third I think Street. yeah and uh, Always 2 which I have uh, both of those and so uh, I watched both of both of those and got all choked up and teary eyed um I don't I have. Actually, f- have
1: always uh, always free. I actually have that with three D Blu Ray.
0: Yeah, you know, I was looking at that on YesAsia. I I'm probably going to get that at some point because the versions that I have are that ch- there there are some cheaper Thai versions floating around out there um, that you can get a hold of quite easily for the first and the second film on DVD. Um, but the Thai version of the third film does not have English subtitles. Um, so if you're in the market to get those. You're, you've got to go to the Japan versions, which surprisingly, um, the Japan versions do actually have English subtitles, um, which is a rarity. But they are quite pricey. Um, I was looking at the Blu-ray for the third film, and it's I think it's in like the sixty to eighty dollar range, depending on if you're getting the deluxe edition or not. Um, so a bit a bit of investment, but I do want to get that and and kind of finish off the series. Um, it, have you you've seen the third film, right?
1: Yeah, I've seen all three films, but I remember the third not being as good. But of course, I mean, they, you know, because it, op- it opens every, because uh, Yamazaki Takashi, he's a, he's a special effects wizard. Um, and that's how he got his start as a special effects artist. So beginning of every always film, there's a huge special effects sequence, right? Yeah. The way first is aerial shot, and then this Godzilla, the second film?
0: Second film, yes.
1: Yeah, and then the third film, of course, there's another big sort of special effects opening. I forgot what it is already. But, um, yeah, so you know that's, 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 that's always worth watching. But I remember how the story progressed um, that the third film is sort of over-extending over the story already a little bit, hmm. if yeah. I remember correctly. I mean, I haven't watched it in years. I remember liking... I mean, I bought the third film because I liked the first two films, and the third film wasn't coming anytime soon, and of course, I was at Yes Age at the time. I had staff discount, so I went in and bought the super-duper expensive version. Um... But uh yeah, I haven't seen it since I saw it the first time actually. So um I don't have much memory of it. Mm. Which can't be good.
0: Yeah. You know? Yeah, yes, indeed. I yeah. mean I think the first uh, having watched the first and the second kind of back to back, the first one is probably gonna stick with me for a while. The second one will for that opening <laughs> see um but uh, you know, I didn't feel like it was quite as strong in terms of some of the character development um going forward. But both still really good if you haven't if you're a fan of Japanese cinema and you haven't seen them. I do strongly recommend uh, both of those films and uh, on Kevin's recommendation, the third film as well. So we're here to talk about some other stuff, not uh, just the films we've been currently watching, um, but also some Asian cinema and some Asian TV. We're going to get into that in a bit, but first our news
1: here at the news desk. um, Quite a busy week of news. Um, First of all, uh, the most recent thing, um, the academy, uh, every year they bring on new members, which means that you're allowed to uh, to vote for, for the academy awards. They just announced their uh, new list of um uh in, what was what, the word you say the um, members? Yeah, yeah, they just announced their new list of members, and there are quite a few. They invited um nine hundred and twenty eight people to join this year, and of course there are some Asians among there. Uh, some of those names that you might have heard uh, include Andy Lau. Sylvia Chang, um, Takeshi Kaneshiro, uh, who else we got here? Ha Wu, woo the Korean actor. Bae Doona, na also Korean actor. Issei Ogata, Japanese actor. Hong Sang-soo, the director. Lee Chang-dong, uh, Lo Ye. But it's not just actors or directors. You also have um, Wang Jong Jun and Wang Jong Lei, the, uh, the heads of uh, Hawaii Brothers. Um, Yu Dong, the head of Bona Films. Uh, scriptwriter, for example, Pa Wu scriptwriter got in. Um, also, the uh, Jackie Pang, who is a producer with Tone. Actually, I'll, I'll go back to Tone in a minute here. Um, just a lot of people from all over the world. Um, and that's cool. I mean, it's always good. The, the Academy is trying to push the fact that they're, 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 um, they're increasing diversity. So this year's 928 new members come from 58 countries and regions. Um, overall membership this year is now 31% and uh 49% of the new members are female. Um 38% of the new members are people of color and that raises the um the overall membership is 16%, only 16%. Um still it's a, it's a good step. Um and now we know that Andy Lau and Sylvia Chang and all those people will have a part in um voting for the Oscars. Yay.
0: That's good news Yay. all around, I think. Um and, uh, and you know it'll be interesting to see how, you know when you, when you announced this news on twitter i was my first thought was all right just in time for disney's mulan to get some awards right
1: is <laughs> <laughs> <It's> still missing <laughs> an asian male lead that is still missing, Agent yeah. Bailey. Oh, other look at this list. There's some some that I didn't expect to be in, like Bill Bellamy. Have you heard that name in? Ye- I haven't heard that name in years. Wow, I'm surprised he got invited into the academy. Um, to me, uh, Dave Chappelle. I'm surprised David Ch- Dave Chappelle was not in the academy this whole time. Uh, Emilia Clarke uh, from Game of Thrones. Yep. Um, Rusty De Palma, who is a uh, staple in the films of Almodovar, uh, finally got in. Um, who am I looking at here? Uh, I'm talking about the non-Asian, Eva Green, who who is in uh, Casino Royale, and the French actress Tiffany Haddish, Qin Han, the Chinese guy in The Dark Knight. <laughs> 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 but of course, he's been in other films too. But yeah. he, to us, he'll always be. The, the Chinese guy, in the Dark Knight guy's ass kicked by uh by Batman, Ken Jeong, the guy, the Asian guy in The Hangover. So uh,
0: as opposed to that other guy in The Dark Knight who kind of got mysteriously edited out, right?
1: Oh yeah, yeah. Oh blurred, blurred <laughs> out. Yeah, un unfocused. Is that Oh Shahrukh Khan, Shahrukh Khan, the Bollywood the king. He's also in. So oh, he's he's coolest. only in now. I know, right? Oh wow, I know this. This is why the Academy is finally catching up. Mm. Um, Kumail Nanjiani, who is an Oscar nominee, by the way, finally in. Um, so, so I guess, you know, get Randall Park, who is uh, a yeah. very prominent Asian-American actor. Um, who remember as uh, he's the guy with the key in uh, the second Matrix movie. Uh, Cal Penn. Uh, from who was in Namesake and Haran Kumar, uh, so yeah, very very cool list, and it's good to know. There's more, you know it's always good to 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 expand your your voter base, obviously to represent more tastes, different tastes, um, and uh, I guess hopefully one day, one day, Paul, I will be in. Yes,
0: we will keep our fingers crossed, and uh, I guess you know this is the thing too, where like, it you know if you're invited in. There's no, no, there's
1: no reason you'd say no, right? Well, actually, Kobe Bryant turned it down, apparently. Because hmm. Kobe Bryant won, won an Academy Award this year, believe it or not. He won an Academy Award this year for a short animated film, and apparently he was invited, but he turned it down.
0: Wow. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's good news again, and uh, we will look forward to, hopefully, uh, more pending changes within the Academy, and uh, especially the Academy Awards, as they go forward. All right, now on some more
1: important news, Steffi news, right? Well, yes, yeah, <laughs> Steffi news. Um, okay, yeah. Uh, so st- this year, new New York Asian Film Festival every year has the uh, Asian uh, Rising Star Award, and usually, sort of goes to a newer actor or actors that people don't quite know in the West. And I guess this year's winner kind of count. Yes, yeah, Steffi Tang um, is the winner this year um, for her performance. In um, the Chapman Toe film, uh, the Empty Hands. Yes, she had actually a real interesting year last year. Uh, She had three very different films. Um, She had uh, three very different performances, very mature performances. So, uh, in addition to the Empty Hands, she also had um, some somewhere beyond the mist. Yeah, somewhere beyond the mist, where she was playing a very serious, very serious role. And, of course, there was Husband Killers, the exploitation film, where she played an assassin who was out to kill her cheating husband. So um, a very interesting year last year. So I think the, the award is very well-deserved. 2017 was definitely her year. Um, I'm not sure what she has coming up, and I hope that it will keep going. Um, and But I know you must be excited, Paul.
0: Um, You know, I mean, it, I it's kind of like you said, though, when they – announced the award, she had won something, I was like, yay, but then I looked at the award, you know, I'm like, wait a minute, I mean, that's kind of like a best new artist award, and she's not a new artist, I mean, she's got close to 50 films under her belt, so, <laughs> well, I mean... Well,
1: sometimes yes, sometimes no, sometimes it's, for ha- perhaps as it's it's an actor who's having a moment, hmm. I think um jun who I just talked about when I was in the Academy, uh, one year he won, and he wasn't like a new actor at the time, but he was sort of becoming... A big star so it's not like a um, it's not like they only give it to newcomers but you're right it, it is a lot of times reserved for newcomers Yeah, sometimes
0: it's yeah. A, I mean if anything hopefully this will prompt um, Patrick Kong to release Ellis for Love Ellis for Lies 2 on video finally
1: well I don't think it's his call <laughs> but you know <laughs>
0: somebody whoever's call it is I mean come on it's like been two years now what's going on with that
1: all right, I think we're moving on, Steffi. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Kind of st- uh, artist-related news um, this week or uh, last week. Um, Tony Lankaoi announced, and well, and. And Tone Wong Kar Wai's company, uh, announced jointly that uh, Tony Leung's uh, contract with the company is up, the talent management contract is up, and that he'll be leaving the company uh, for the moment. Uh, Karina Lau, uh, his wife, will be handling um, any, any work calls, apparently, uh, until he finds a new agent. Uh, of course, people are freaking out about this, right? Because Tony Learn and, and Wong Kar Wai, um, but for me, it, it's... It's just one of the businessy things that we is I, sort of out of our hands. Um, yes, Jet runs a management agency. They also used to manage Karina Lau, but she left earlier than him. Um, and from what I hear is that she started a talent agency um, last year, so that might be why she left uh, Jet Tone to start her own agency. Um, but of course, she told Apple Daily that that she has no plans to manage uh, Tony's career; that she's just handling things in the interim. Um, But who knows? I mean, talent, talent management. The thing about talent management is that you really have to handle all this stuff when you get a lot of offers and you're working constantly and blah, blah. The thing about Tony Learn is that he doesn't work. He works constantly, but the thing is, he has very um, uh, he doesn't take every project that goes his way. Right. Of course, I'm sure like like 10 you know hundreds of people go after him every year offer him roles but you know he's not the type to go and taking jobs left and right you know he doesn't do a lot of um, uh, uh, spokespersonship for for ad or ads um, he doesn't do a lot of public appearances he doesn't do award shows things like that he does only a few movies he mainly does movies um, so um does it mean that he's never going to work with Wong Kar-wai again i don't think so i mean yeah it just means that uh, Jet Tone will stop taking commission on all his jobs, but it doesn't mean that Wong car would never cast. He w- can we really imagine Tony Learn, I mean, uh, Wong car by never casting Tony Learn again in a film? It's impossible. Um, in fact, um, they just. Does it have anything to do with with the fact that um, See You Tomorrow flopped at the box office? No, I mean, Tony Learn's been in flops. Even under Jet Tone representation, is taking a lot of crap. Because j- Tony Learn's. Been been under Jetto management since Happy Together, and you know, let, let's just say that was before his picky period. <laughs> you know, he did he did um, what was it? My Lucky Stars, during, under under Jetto management. So, um, I personally don't think that anything is going to happen. I, I think that Warren wai will hire Tony to work again, even if. If if, if uh, It might be years later, because we know how long Wong kar takes to make a movie. Um, so I am definitely not freaking out at all. It's, it, is it unfortunate that the partnership ended between the company and Tony? Who knows? I mean, maybe Tony wasn't happy. I don't know. We don't know why Tony decided to leave. Um, maybe it is because he wants to go and join uh, Karina's company, or maybe because they're falling out. I hope it's not the latter, but um, I'm sure that there will be Tony Lerner movies coming out and there will be Wong kar movies and someday they will work again.
0: Maybe Wong Jing made him an offer he couldn't refuse.
1: Oh, so 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 Tony is going to be the next next Jing girl. Yeah, that would be hilarious.
0: <laughs> Alright, well, I mean, if anything, I hope that maybe this will give him a bit of, a, you know, maybe it'll give him a bit of a flexibility in terms of, you know, choosing projects that uh, he wants to do. Um, I mean, I know you mentioned My Lucky Star. And that kind of stuff I kind of wish he'd return to to that period where he was making serious movies, but he'd make a few cheesy comedies every once in a while um,
1: well when, uh, when actors when actors leave talent agencies, I think it's usually because they want to work less.
0: Hmm. so't
1: so I, like think- I mean he hasn't
0: really had a huge workload. I mean if you look at his filmography, he had like three films in 2012. But since then, it's n- he hasn't really done... I mean, it hasn't been a super heavy workload. Um, he's yeah, uh, he's The the, the new I mean, Raiders movie. movie is not out yet, right? Has that been released?
1: No, no not yet. Not yet. Par-
0: is it Paris or Europe Raiders or Paris Raiders? Europe or? Raiders. Yeah.
1: Europe Raiders. Yeah. Um, so he has Europe Raiders coming up. He also has uh, Theory of Ambitions, the new film by Philip Young. Um, and those are the only two I can recall at the moment. But the thing is... Um, I like to think I personally like to think that your Raiders broke him <laughs> well, why did you guys take this I hope this? not why what the hell but I, no I would never he say gets, that he got to work Hunter. with
0: Wongbo right I mean come on
1: Wongbo's not in that one he's not he's not Your he's never in the Raiders movie with they can't afford Wongbo man I
0: thought, I, thought, I thought he was part of the cast of that No.
1: No, no, no. You can't afford Juan (laughs) Um. Yeah, I I, I hope that Monster Hunt 2 wasn't the movie that broke him. Mm, mm, I I personally like to think that it was Europe Raiders that broke from (laughs) from Jetto. Stop (laughs) taking this crazy... I mean... The thing is, Tony learned It's not like he's only taking serious movies. Like I said, he did Monster Hunt two this year, right? Yeah, he that's did true. That's true. Europe Raiders. Yeah. Um. Essentially, I I like I said, I, I think usually these these actors, they leave talent agencies because they want to work less. You know, Tony's not getting any younger, and it's not like he needs the money. Um, Karina is, is working crazy. Um, and and perhaps she and she's very active. And uh, on the social scene as well, showing up, does a lot of you know, uh, ads and things like that. And if Tony wants to take a step back and let him take a step back, it's cool. Hmm. And,
0: then you know, that's true. Maybe he's looking to m- maybe move more in that direction. And working at Jet Tone kind of hindered that, you know. Because doing advertising is a usually a quicker paycheck and an easier paycheck than, you know, doing a film shoot.
1: Um, mm-hmm. And you know maybe
0: man, maybe he's just ready to retire. Who knows?
1: No, I certainly hope that Tony doesn't retire. But um, like I said, if he wants to take on less jobs, if he wants to only do one movie every two years. I mean, the thing is that the, the Hong Kong film war, film industry has a way of breaking people. Um, you know, I I, I just saw uh, a website that you know posts you know these different photos from old older films, '90s films, things like that. And they posted a photo uh, of um, what's the second film in that series? Uh, who's the man? Who's a woman? Um, um, yeah, he's the man. Who's, okay, so who's the man? Who's a woman? Yeah, that film was went from shooting to cinemas in two months. Yeah, you know, and that was that was the status quo in the Hong Kong film industry. So the the the, the rate that the Hong Kong film industry works at really has a way of breaking people. And and if Tony is tired, um, he's definitely paid his due. He's definitely done plenty. Um, and I'm not going to be the the entitled fan who goes, no, you owe us more movies. That's (laughs) not true. They don't owe us anything. I mean, yeah, we're lucky. In fact, we're lucky to have them. So, like I said, if he wants to step back, that's cool with me. Mm -hmm. We'll we'll still have his movies, so it's all good. The question will be, where can we buy his movies?
0: Uh, Because as we talked about, I think, on our last episode, um, when I was in Hong Kong, I had the good fortune to do some physical media shopping and i mentioned that uh, one of my frequent haunts that i used to go to was the harbor city uh, hong kong records which had been moved from a very significantly large store to uh, what we kind of made akin to a closet basically and apparently the next time i'm back in hong kong i'm not even gonna have that anymore right
1: yeah um hong kong records uh kind of a hong kong staple um especially in those affluent districts um Amroti and jim such is uh officially closing its doors um the chain has been around how many years paul i think i think 20 years i mean it started as a independent record shop and then it became a chain um it's definitely been around for decades a couple of decades um unfortunately the physical media world is is slowly dying and people aren't buying physical media much anymore um although i still do by the way i just don't shop at hong kong records um and the fact that uh, the physical media is dying, and of course they are in very affluent districts and they're in very big malls, and that's not a business model you want to continue. So uh, unfortunately it's closing, it. it's, I think it's first closing is Admiralty store, and then the Jim Choice store will close by the end of the year. So uh, and that's the end of an era, Paul, I think.
0: Yeah, definitely, and it's, you know, it's, uh, you, we could debate about the the idea of cost, and stuff with regard to, you know, if you talk about the big shops, the big chain stars like HMV and Hong Kong Records versus at one time, the small sort of mom and pop shops that you could find spread throughout Mong Kok and um, Prince Edward and other districts, even going up into the new territories, you could find these all over the place. But most of those are gone now. And if you really wanted a decent selection at a decent price of back titles... Hong Kong Records was the place that I would direct people to go because, especially if you're looking for stuff in sort of the Silver Box Legendary line, or you're looking for the Shaw Brothers um, Celestial releases, they still had a decent selection. Um, you can't you couldn't find everything, but you could still find some things there. Whereas if you go to some of the smaller shops that are still open, like a Cheapy, um, which was one of the Frequent places that I had uh, near me in Tai Po. they carry the new stuff, but they don't have a lot of the the old the old stuff. Um, those places are good for buying secondhand stuff though. so you know it''s it's, it's sad to see this go. Um, it's definitely, I think gonna be one less place that I can now go to. I mean, I did go to HMV last time, but I always felt HMV's prices were um, the, the most expensive that I found. Uh, oftentimes, I'd find things at Hong Kong Records where they'd have sales that m- they would be cheaper than going out to a street shop like a cheapie uh, shop. Um, they'd actually have some sales that would be cheaper there. And so it'd be a question of, okay, do I want to buy a disc here at the cheapy, or do I want to go check Hong Kong Records? And you know, sometimes you'd have to weigh out the travel time and everything. But you could find some decent deals. And it's one less place to go to now, which I think is is a shame especially considering that I, at least for me, I haven't really seen an uptick in online development for titles internationally. I mean, even looking at like Hong Kong iTunes, a lot of current releases don't head to Hong Kong iTunes. You don't get a lot of the older stuff on Hong Kong iTunes. I know that you can search around and you can find some sketchy sites in that are coming out of China whether they're legit or not it's very hard to tell sometimes and but normally those are not friendly to the international market Um, a lot of times like if you find an old title that would have been on the legendary release or part of the celestial catalog they are not gonna have the Cantonese audio track they're gonna have the Mandarin audio track and if they have subtitles it's usually gonna be simplified Chinese Um, you know and of course you've got stuff on YouTube but that's a whole Different legal spiel we won't get into um, on this episode. So it's it's sad to see this go because I do understand the pressures that physical media is under, but at the same time I don't see the I don't see a lot of online platforms coming in to fill up the void with regard to what I use these stores for, which was again going for the older classic titles, not not so much the newer stuff. Um, you do still have of course online services where you can sometimes get some stuff, like yes, Asia, but a lot of the stuff is out of print and not gonna be having any availability in the future unless somebody decides to do a new physical media release line, which probably isn't gonna happen because they've got less stores to go through now. Um,
1: Yeah, the problem is that local distributors are doing the digital thing, but the thing is they're mostly selling it to uh, a website websites like HMVOD which is only available locally. There's a a very big so when I was doing the Anita Moy, uh and uh, uh Leslie chum program uh blurbs for the Hong Kong Film Archive, I had to watch some of the older films because I hadn't seen those and yes, I found them on HMVOD, whereas you know, perhaps the physical media version might be might be gone already. But I promise a lot of us overseas fans of Hong Kong films we rely on physical media because they're not making them available digitally because they are still playing this old holding on to the whole region right idea Yeah. so it's, it's very hard so physical media is really the only way that, that fans can still buy these films uh, on a regular basis um, and if they're only digitizing them um, the older films only for a local audience then it really hurts ultimately their, their standing overseas but you know, Hong Kong film, Hong Kong cinema industry has always been money first. And to them, they still find selling international rights, blah blah. We're gonna go into this again, but you know, international rights matters more to them than getting out um, a DVD, selling ten DVDs or something. Right. Um, and fortunately, that's um, that's gonna be a continuing trend. I hope that HMBOD will will come to their senses and uh, look to the global market. But of course, there's this whole Complicated landmine of rights to deal with. Who knows who is holding the rights on the certain films? Maybe Warner still owns a certain number of films. Maybe uh, older other films maybe being held by Miramax and blah 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 blah. Very very complicated minefield. But until then, um, yeah, I, I, I still the thing is I never shop at Hong Kong Records because I never like their prices. Uh, I usually although although a shop I usually don't go to these mall shops, but. I do admit that the local CD warehouse, um, even though they were, I was looking for a Blu-ray, uh, in, in a very short time, in a very emergency, um, in a very short span of time, and I managed to find a Blu-ray there. And yes, it was a little more expensive, but I was, um, I gladly paid the price because of the convenience. Unfortunately, not many people in Hong Kong have that problem or have that need anymore. So um, uh, that's that is just the way of the world. Um, but until then, I, when I can, I still shop at the mom and pop stores because one, they offer more competitive prices, and of course, I just tend to like to support those shops more than the big chains. Um, but I am sorry to see Hong Kong Records gone because I know that Paul, you like to, to shop there, and I know a lot of people who, who don't want to frequent those Bangkok mom and pop stores tend to frequent Hong Kong Records. Uh, and um, or or shops like HMV or CD Warehouse, and it's just sad to see another one go.
0: Yeah, and I mean, there's another side to this too. Um, I, we we sound a bit uh, snobbish here because of our <laughs> the loss of our movie hub, um, but it was a major source for music for a lot of people, um, not just you know local s- compact discs, but they did carry start carrying uh, vinyl again in yeah. in the shops and. A uh, big range of classical music, big range of music from all over the world, Europe, um, Japan, other parts of Asia. Um, and for me, for a while, I mean, when I kind of first got into Hong Kong, soundtracks, especially for some Hong Kong movies, were still a thing. <laughs> 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 They're not a thing anymore, but, you know, you could go to a Hong Kong Records and you could find uh, a soundtrack. I found a, soundtracks for some of the older movies in the 80s and 90s. Through Hong Kong Records, and that stuff you're probably not going to find at the small, you know, mom and pop shops anymore. You, uh, there are specialty shops that you can, you know, ask around and find out about um, places in like the Sino Center. Although the last time I was there, the Sino Center's offerings had changed um, a great deal. Um, but there are specialty shops, but those specialty shops are people who are really, you know, they're putting stuff up on eBay and stuff, and they really have um, significantly higher prices than you'd be paying for stuff um, through a Hong Kong Records if you could find something. Uh, so, you know, that's, that's the other side to this. I'm sure there are plenty of people who aren't movie people but who are music people and were really into the music side of things. And, you know, it's a loss for them. And, um, you know, the other thing about Hong Kong Records, too, is that it had its fingers in many different pies. Uh, they did have a toy section where they were selling, like, all the big movie toys for, like, the Marvel figures and stuff. And they, they had a video game section, too. Um, and you could buy the latest platform games there as well. Um, although I think there are plenty of places where you can still get that stuff um, and usually get it. At a more reasonable price, if you're willing to go a bit further afield. So, uh, again, it's you know it's sad. I the, the one question I had that wasn't addressed in there was a big article in this that Kevin sent out in the South China Morning Post, and I think I posted that link over in the uh, Love HK Film Group over on Facebook. Is that uh, they were trying to do the Yes Asia thing for a while. Um, They they set up an online store and you could order through them and their website was a mess. I, I tried navigating through it a few times. The search engine was terrible. And at first I wasn't sure if they were basically just closing up physical stores to go fully online. But it seems like, at least the impression that I get, is that no, they're just done. Um, and I guess the owner was talking about in the article that he's not even sure what he's going to do with all the stock he has on hand. Um, so, you know, I mean, he could give it to me. I don't mind. <laughs> I don't yeah, think he's going to yeah, do a, that.
1: As heartless as it sounds, I look forward to the clearance sale. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Yeah. But I do look forward to the clearance sale. So Because uh, I am still a supporter of physical media. I think – so I think I'm going to start cheap, this huge cheap physical <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I will pay, I just paid like like $60 for a copy of The Handmaiden. I mean, it's ridiculous. Mm. Um, but the thing is, I I, I think I'm going to start this huge project where I'm going to start digitizing my DVDs. But for anything HD and above, it's still physical media still offers the best presentation of of movies. Um, and, and I'm not going to forget that. So mm. I'm still going to prefer that. I'm still going to keep all my Blu-rays. Um, and I'm still going to keep buying physical media as long as I keep making them.
0: All right, I think that's going to wrap it up for our news this week. When we come back, we'll have our first review of the television series, the new television series, The Trading Floor. and welcome back so for our first review this week uh something
1: a little bit different a
0: tv series this time called the trading floor
1: that's right um so i think uh perhaps some of our listeners don't know what the Trading floor is uh fox networks asia they run a very extensive network um of television networks uh in this region um and and last year they decided to go into uh production of T V series. So their first inaugural their inaugural shows um, are the trading floor, which I'm about to talk about, and the other one is um, what is it called? Un Unstained No, it's called Stained, sorry, stained. And that one is unfortunately directed by Patrick Kong. So I'm not I don't think I'll, well, when it comes out I'll probably come here and I'll probably come back and, and, and tear it apart. <laughs> um, but until then the first one we get is the trading floor. The trading floor is um, directed by Wong Kot Lun, who is uh, who was a uh, director over at HKTV and directed um, a series called Election, which or I think it's called Election. It starred Angelica Lee and and um, uh, Liu Kai Chi and a whole bunch of other people. Unfortunately, Hong Kong TV um, never got the free to air license in Hong Kong. They were forced to shut down or they were forced to it's uh, air their shows on the internet. Um, And now they're selling it off to, uh, I think, the new um, free-to-TV network that's uh, run by cable TV. So that's really one of Hong Kong television's biggest tragedies, uh, that Hong Kong TV, HKTV, never became a full-fledged network. But it did um, nurture some talents. Uh, including this director who is now handling this this um five episode tv series it's produced by uh andy lao's company focus it's the first tv series he's produced um it's written by a crew of six people including Juan and the people who did um um what was that vampire vampire cleanup department is that what it's called yeah, yeah. vampire cleanup department uh which is a bit weird, I guess. <laughs> yeah, from the from the peep from the creators of Vampire Club Department, the Trading Floor, which <laughs> is just incredibly weird. But anyway, it's a five episode show, and it just finished airing two weeks ago, I think, or last week. Um, it was an incredibly short show, um, so I can finally talk about it here. Uh, the show stars Francis Ng, uh Francis Ng, um, Joseph Chang. Uh, Yunan, Carlos Chan and a whole whole bunch of other people including uh, quite Tony Ho and Liu Kai-chi and pretty much all of the familiar faces from Hong Kong TV the Shea TV um, so Hong Kong film fans would definitely know, recognize a lot of the actors here um, the story, Anthony Yip, played by Francis Ng, and Wai Hong were formerly members and uh, partners of an underground financial elite team called Cash. Their whole uh, intention is to become white knights of the financial industry, stopping snipers from wreaking havoc on financial systems um, in, in uh, Asia. And they're based in this city that is conspicuously looks like Hong Kong, but actually isn't Hong Kong. However, um, Ip suddenly turns on the team sending Wai Hong to exile. Ten years later, Wai Hong returns to uh, Cohen City, which is where the, f- the show is set, Cohen City uh, for revenge. So, um, th- this is Fox Network's uh, first TV series, so obviously it's a big deal for them, and they threw in uh, here quite a big budget. I hear upwards of 8 million Hong Kong dollars per episode which brings the total budget to 40 million which is roughly the budget of Inferno Affairs but of course Inferno Affairs was, thir- was 13 years ago so, so 40 million 13 years ago might might work a bit differently than 40 million 13 years later but every penny is really on screen you can see they use fancier cameras a lot of things were shot on location um, the sets didn't look cheap at all they didn't look like they were um, lit and look at like had cardboard walls or anything like that no it the locations look pretty real and of course they have bigger stars um, and it helps that it was co-produced by a Chinese companies actually co-produced by Tencent um, uh, who is the company behind you know QQ and is tech giant uh, so obviously they have a bigger budget to work with here um, I can say that the uh, script is slightly better structured than most Hong Kong TV shows because they're trying to ape American television shows. Um, the whole uh, each each episode is on structure, uh, a lot more episodic. Um, they kind of go a bit further than usual Hong Kong TV shows. There's sex, there's violence, there are curse words. Although not on the broadcast version that I watched, because the, broad, because the broadcast laws, they couldn't air curse words like the F word or things like that. So they left that for the video on demand version. That's also available on the network that I watch. So what did but they do? Did they
0: just uh, bleep it or did they have somebody do an overdub?
1: No, they just cut it. Hmm. They just cut it. Like, it just doesn't exist. Like, there'll be a sort of a weird, abrupt cut in music or something. That's how you notice. Otherwise, it's pretty seamless. Because there's one one scene where, uh, in one episode where Francis let lets out a really loud F you. But the thing is, he sort of does it on. It's, it's like this randomly quiet moment in the middle of ten seconds. So just really easy to cut out. Like just never, just never said it because, and the fact that cutting out doesn't really affect the show, it shows how unnecessary it is. Uh, but anyway, that's that's what I think. Um, but unfortunately, so it looks better, but nothing else is really up to par. Um, even the sets. So so it's supposed to. Reflect Hong Kong, right? I think there might have been some censorship issues. So maybe when it was written, it was about Hong Kong. But the thing is, when it was in post-production, they had to redub every. They might have redubbed everything and changed the city's name. So it, so it exists in this fictional city called Cohen City. I'm not kidding. It's called Cohen, like C O E N, is English of Cohen City, that weirdly looks like Hong Kong but isn't. And there's a scene that is set in the so-called legisl- They call it the Legislative Center. Which we all know is a legislative, legislature, council, right in Hong Kong. Um, but other things, you only see the close-up of someone on a second floor, and you see someone on a clo- see a close-up of someone sitting on the floor, like of the chamber, and you never actually see. They can't even afford to CGI a wide shot, <laughs> which is really, really odd for a show that's supposed to that is you know hyped for being such a big, expensive, whatever big budget show it is, uh, and it's supposed to okay film or blah 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 blah. But that was a really, really cheap, cheap move um, of them, and that kind of explains the entire show. Um, the story is there. There's some clever twists, but the thing is, the thing is, um, it it's really feels like a show that was written for a ten episode season, more than a five episode season. So everything is packed. Like you literally have like. A char- two character arcs going on. They have one char- entire character arc happening over one episode. But we all know that in American TV shows, character arcs or certain arcs happened over multiple episodes. So you have time more time to develop it, and you really get a feel, and every scene kind of matters. But here, it's this super-packed. Um, and they sort of steal a bit of everything, like you got uh, um, the whole finance thing going, you got a bit of uh, Hong Kong cinema there, um, and then you got this one episode where um, the, the the White Hong, who's, who is back for revenge, and he's put together this whole team, and he's got to go and um, do this whole vote getting thing like he has to go and convince these legislative center members to vote a certain way and they have to do um, so go and do politicking and trying to get people to vote but that's like totally sh- stolen out of House of Cards or, or the West Wing like here in Hong Kong we're like what are you doing? Like, what are you doing this thing for? Like, we, that doesn't exist in Hong Kong. It doesn't exist uh, so it was really weird so it's weird knowing where the source is coming from and trying to do it in a Hong Kong style and it doesn't really work um, and f- so, for all the hype about how big the show is, the scope is really laughably small. Um, there's no real insight into the stock market. It's super, really silly about how it views the stock market. Like at one at one point, they try to start, they try to affect the prices um, by creating rumors. Mm-hmm. And and in this super traumatic style, of course, it goes up like ten dollars in like an hour or in two minutes or something like that. It's like the stock market doesn't work like that, right? Like what? Like things take time to happen, just like the show should. Things should take time to happen, but they brush everything. So. Everything seems super superficial. Like, there's no no one, you can tell that none of the six script writers really buy stocks because we all know that Hong Kong film right? film people are too poor to be investing in the stock market. Um, instead, it's all about. Uh, essentially putting Hong Kong current events or Hong Kong hot topics on screen so there's government business collusions there's um, uh, social activists and things like that and and it feels like they're just using it to get brownie points from netizens uh, instead of really saying something about the city or really saying something about these things. Um, And at the end of the day, just like the plot I gave you, it's really just a revenge show. It's, yeah, he comes back for revenge, which is like the plot of every other TVB show, just that this one happens to be set in the the financial world of a fictional city. Um, The directorial style and the editing style feels more like Andrew Lau, and I really hate Andrew Lau (laughs) because he has this rapid-fire editing style that doesn't really tell the story. Instead, it, 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 it almost bludgeons the story into your your, your face it it all of this is exposition just the, the entire show is exposition there's no there's no story there's nothing to really learn from it there's no it's not really saying anything other than the actual story is telling you know what i mean um all this exposition and there's no real soul behind it the editing is so ridiculously rapid that um the first episode the the the, the, the the structure of the show is really weird. So the first episode is mainly set in the present. And we get these rapid flashbacks of what might have happened in the past. when um, With Wai Hong and Anthony Yip, the, the, the Francis in character. But then it it, it, it it doesn't really tell you anything. So by the end of the first episode, you're like, okay, we're getting revenge. But for what? what? What the hell happened? And then second episode, they finally go back to tell you what you should have known in the first episode. Because they're rushing everything so quickly... No one knows what the hell is going on by the end of the first episode. And if it wasn't, you know, if I wasn't so committed to watching the entire thing, I would have been like, forget it. There was a reason. I think the first, so the first and second episode were actually aired together in Hong Kong. And now I can see why, because you really have to see the, because the second episode should have been the first episode. And the way they edited it's all over the place um they try to do things like co-opening but they're opening most like 80 percent of the co-opening is this flashback to what's happened b- before um and the, the 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 rap and you know the thing is i i know everyone loves inferno affairs but i am actually not a huge fan of the movie film and most of it is because of the editing um, it's because of that super rapid or the MTV-esque editing that really has no subtlety. And it's not really based on any actual directorial skills, but it's almost like the entire film is saved in the editing room. And that's what it feels like here. The editing is really frustrating to watch because it just rips through everything so quick that there's no room to, there's no room for the story to breathe. It, it's just moving through plot points instead of really really creating some kind of emotional effect or creating characters. There's no character. Characters are just little pawns. Because the whole film runs around this whole idea of the, the Monopoly, a fake Monopoly game, and that, you know, the financial game is sort of like playing Monopoly, or everyone treats it like they're just playing Monopoly, and and, and it just keeps flashing to Monopoly, and all that stuff. And it's like, stop, stop, just slow down. Like, slow down and tell a story, and say something. And actually say something, instead of just telling... Just going through plot points. So that's, you know, but that's not to say that it's not entertaining. It does move through really quickly and, and it has so much plot that, like, but it, you, 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 and it's 42 minutes an episode, so it riffs through everything really quickly. But the problem is, characters really come and go. Tony Ho has sort of a, uh, 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 he becomes sort of a supporting character in episode three and then he's sort of shoved aside and then he comes back when it's convenient, which it's not a crime, but, um, so, for example, we know nothing about uh, the new team that White Hong put together, which is uh, played by one of the actors, Pun Chan Lun, who is a, uh, a stage actor who you'll see later this, this summer in Man on the Dragon. And Carlos Chan is another member. But Carlos Chan, he's the only real member of the team that you really get a background. We know his background because it is a major plot point in one of the episodes. But the other ones just sort of show up. And then they have sort of side stories, but... The, 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 the crew seems to not be interested in telling you what they are because they have no time to do it um, so characters sort of come and go and you have this thing where everyone is so clever that they're just pet- telepathic and know what the other person will do so uh, s- someone's plans always get foiled by someone else because they know what the opponent is going to do in the next step which is, is incredibly silly it's better when House of Cards does it because he con- you know they convince you That these guys are that clever because they have the time to set it up. And it's really just baby step, baby step, baby step. So by the time you get there, because they show you these little steps in such short, you know, little pieces, that by then, when you see the whole picture, you're like, oh, so that's how you put it together. But here it just moves so fast, they're like, I have a plan. Next scene, your plan's foiled. I have a plan. Your plan's foiled. I know what you're doing. Next plan, I know what you're doing already. And it's just incredibly silly, silly in that whole, like, everyone is too clever type of way. Um, Francis Ng is usually really good, um, but playing one of Hong Kong's, oh, I'm sorry, Cohen City's uh, top financial expert is really beyond his range, because he has to speak a lot of English, and Francis' English, if you remember from Gen X Cops, is not great. <laughs> but it is really, it does result in some very hilarious English line reading, um, for example, he can't seem to pronounce their name Pamela. He keeps saying Pamela. every seems Pamela, Pamela, like, stop, stop. and and he cur he does curse in a very funny way. Um, so it does result in some very funny line reading, but he I can't buy him at all as a Hong Kong financial expert who teaches at a at an elite university. Um, it's just not convincing at all. Joseph Chang is entirely dubbed in Cantonese, unfortunately, because he is a Hong Kong. He's, his character is a Hong Connor. There is a Mandarin track version when I watched it, but that would mean that everyone else is dubbed, so I didn't want to do that. Even though there are a few Mandarin actors in there, including Yunan, um, there's a gratuitous use of a Fei, Fei Wan song that they keep bringing back, but it doesn't really have, serve any real meaning to the story. It feels like it's just used for brownie points again. Like, ooh, there's a song that everyone knows. Oh, we love the show. Um, who who is usually in art house Chinese films, of course, she was also in Wolf Warrior, so whatever. Um, She plays this femme fatale character who, again, comes and goes and becomes a pawn in all this. But that's all she plays in the show. Um, She usually deserves better, but, you know, I don't feel sorry for her because she got paid well enough to do this. But usually Yunnan does much better here. She's just this weird... Femme fatale character who sort of gets played around by by uh, the Joseph Chan character, and then she serves her purpose. She's really just a plot plot device, um, which is like most of the characters in the show. Guila May has a very short cameo um, in a very mysterious role. Um, in a, at least in the background of one of the characters, and she shows up here in, uh, for very, very short scenes, I think two or three scenes, really. Um, but it's clear that they're saving her for season two. The end of season one sort of suggests that she is going to take a very major role in season two. Um, but that's what I hate. You know, it, 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 it just feels like they have an excuse for not answering a lot of the plot points because, oh, it's in it season two. Don't worry, it's in it season two. And of course, it ends with a huge cliffhanger Um that, you know, it's really pretentious because, you know, it's almost like it's doing that whole Cold War thing where not most of the things don't really get resolved. Hopefully the sequel will solve it. And I'm sure season two will do the same thing. That, oh, no, we're not going to resolve everything. Guess they're going to be a season three. Um, and sure, Guilu Mei is going to be great. But then the thing is, everyone in this show, including Guilu Mei, including the story, including the directing... N- all of them can't seem to shake the fact that the show believes itself to be better or smarter than it really is. Like everyone is super serious and everyone has this face on, you know, Guilu May has this mean, mean face on like, like, um, like I'm about to friend you face. And th- that's the way to speak to everyone. Like everyone stares at each other. Like they were about to kill each other. That whole infernal affairs, frozen moments, st- standoff face. You know what I mean? Um, and that's what everyone does throughout the show is like no one can really take a joke or no one bothers to make a joke in this world um, because it believes itself to be a quality show and a quality show doesn't have any time to make any any room for humor. And that just makes the makes, you know, the fact that it's actually not as good as the things it is, just makes it worse. Um, and I, I just couldn't take it seriously. I, I mean, it is I suppose it is better than TVB because TVB is the ultimate rock bottom uh, of Hong Kong television. But um, this shows that Hong Kong television industry really has a long way to go. And if if this inaugural show can't surpass or can't really be as good, can't be on a certain international standard, then I seriously have zero, zero, like no faith at all for the Patrick Kong show.
0: (laughs) Well, I don't think many people would have faith in any Patrick Kong show. With, right, uh, but you know, no. Seriously, this does sound. It, it sounds a little bit like they took a script from a proposed uh, Overheard movie, Overheard Four or something, and they just kind of yeah. stretched it out <laughs> to episodic
1: length. It uh, certainly has that kind of feeling, like that whole over, overtly serious. But you know, at least Overheard has some has some room for for comedy. You know, has some some you know character humor. Here, it's just everyone is mad about something.
0: (laughs) Well, I mean, I guess the main thing to think about, though, if you're somebody who wants to watch this, is that if you're overseas, you really can't right now because uh, the, the Fox Network channel that, what is it, Fox Plus that you mentioned that this is being primarily broadcast on, is basically limited to Asia for the moment.
1: Yeah, um, and I think it's available on the Tencent uh, video streaming platform, but of course only the the Mandarin version. And I hear – I've heard that they're embedding ads into the broadcast starring – Starring, sir, starring actual cast member of the show. So you're watching the show, and suddenly they cut to an ad, and then one well, the cast member would come out and actually be starring in the ad, which I guess is creative. So eventually, imagine watching Breaking Bad, and suddenly cuts in the middle where Bryan Cranston as as his character does a uh, an ad for a bank or something in the middle yeah. of the broadcast, and it well, goes back to the show. I,
0: I, there, there's a bit of there's a tinge of creativity that I mean, if you one thing that I've noticed on a lot of American television these days is the embedded ads that are just so blatant that they don't even try to hide them anymore and like I'm thinking I was watching some show, it was like a CSI type of show or something and I mean first they drive up in a car and when the car pulls up to the parking lot you know, grounds eye view so that the logo of the car pulls perfectly into frame, close up and then the actor or actress, you know, they, they're trying to do something, and the actor actress says, oh, no, I can do that right here. And, you know, it's on, it's the new feature of my car. Da, da, da. I mean, it's really just overly blatant. They don't even try to hide it in terms of the script writing anymore. Um, <laughs> with, with embedded ads, it's gotten that bad. So I, I guess the one thing to think about, though, is that, you know, because we were talking before the show, if, if there might be a chance, because this is being broadcast... In your area with English subtitles um, that you know so the subtitles are there it's ready for an international release perhaps it might end up on a Netflix you know next to what is it the OCTB uh, series and and other similar similar series that Netflix has gone out of their way to try and acquire Um, so there is a chance that this might get a wider audience right
1: yeah um, Fox has a um uh, uh financial stakes in um in whatchamacallit um in hulu along with disney and blah blah i'm not sure how fox networks asia has ties to fox you know the home base but so i'm not sure who the rights how the rights transferring works or whatever but um i'm guessing that of course they're doing this to counter netflix right fox plus was invented they're consolidating all the channels together in Asia and putting all the contents up there to, to, to counter Netflix. I saw on television because I have a uh, Fox, um, I have a star movies, Chinese, which is run by Fox. Uh, so that's where I saw it, but it's also available on Fox plus, which is available across Asian region. The currently is available in, uh, at least Singapore for sure, probably, probably Taiwan for sure. And Hong Kong, uh, and perhaps other Chinese speaking areas, um, like, like, like Malaysia, definitely not China though. Um, uh so who knows maybe they want to they want to bring it to their own streaming platform over in the west which would be hulu um and definitely not netflix definitely not amazon uh, so keep an eye out i mean you never know it might show up um on one of those uh, networks soon
0: For our next review, I'm here to tell you about the amazement of the Supernormal Three. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, let me take a step back. If you're not familiar with this series, uh, the Supernormal films are part of what I guess you some might label as uh, shockumentary films that were very popular in the like I want to say the early '80s. These are films that set themselves up as a kind of documentary but they try to be a bit uh they they try to go for the exotic and the extreme in some cases so if you're familiar with titles such as like the shocking asia series um and you know they've had uh, i think in hong kong they had one hosted by um (coughs) uh is it uh who's the who's the music guy james who did all the uh, james wong james James wong yeah james wong so james wong hosted one called under the rose which looked at like the hong kong adult entertainment industry um and so there there's a couple of these that have been out there over the years and one of these series is the supernormal which is a personal favorite of mine so the supernormal originally came out in 1992 there was a follow-up which was nowhere near as good it kind of felt like it was made of a lot of additional footage that they didn't end up using in the first film that was released a year later in 1993 and they you know again they look at sort of the the cultural practices and, and some aspects of mysticism they talk about ghost stories and the first one was really focused a lot on uh, hong kong stuff and the second one i think they went to taiwan and a couple of places a further afield and so i've always had a soft spot for this kind of genre but there's been a glut of these of late in the, in the past decade or so with films like The Unbelievable and The Cases and each of those getting you know multiple entries in the, those film series. And I think one of the big problems with these is that when you look at the older films, whether they're shot on film and you have that film look, um, they, they tend to be a bit better written. Um, because, I guess, of the money and the investment that was going into them back then. And with the newer films, they tend to be shot a lot on video. And there's not just because of the video look, but there doesn't seem to be as much time or attention to detail put into them in terms of some of the research. And I guess for the most part, a lot of these stories, you know, ghost stories and, and famous haunted places. And they've covered that They because this show and I think some of the other shows went on to become late night radio shows and TV shows. And so the material's kind of been done to death in a variety of different mediums. I'm sure there's been books in Chinese written as well. So the Super Normal Three um, is a continuation. It's led by uh, Master Li, Li Ming, who was on hand for the first and second film. Now, if you're not familiar with him, he uh, He's had some work in the Hong Kong film industry. He's been a writer on a few films. And I guess bringing his sense of being a feng shui master and understanding the spirits has helped. Because you look at some of the titles, like things like The Occupant and Goodbye Darling, for example, um, from 1987. You know, films that dabbled a little bit with spirituality. Uh, he's also worked on um, For Your Heart Only, the Dean Check movie called um, The Family Strikes Back and uh, The Eighth Happiness. And, and so in a couple of these, it was a team of writers that he was working. But a couple of these, he was the he was the sole writer as well. Um, but uh, in terms of being in front of the camera, it's primarily been the Supernormal, Supernormal 2, and now the Supernormal 3. Now, the Supernormal 1 and 2, he did not direct, but he's taken over directing duties for this third one, which comes to us, you know, what is it, like 25 years Later, um, And I guess not sure anybody was clamoring for <laughs> <a> Super Normal <laughs> 3. Um, but I was, when I heard about it, I was kind of excited because, again, I really liked the first one. The second one I thought was, eh. And I thought, okay, you know, maybe, maybe he's going to bring a little bit more gravitas back to the genre that has been lost with the unbelievable films and the cases films. And fortunately, that's not necessarily the case here. Um, so he does take up the director's chair in this, and this one pretty much takes all of its, uh, material from Japan this time. So he, along with a cast of some Hong Kong celebrities, uh, including the likes of Bob Lamb, and we were talking about Bob Lamb last time about, you know, oh, Bob Lamb's great in small doses, And uh, and he's got a small dose here. They just don't use him well, <laughs> Gregory Rivers shows up here, uh, Elena Kong, Jacqueline Chong, um, and even some Japanese actors. They tap in, I I believe there's three um, older generation Japanese actors that they tap into, and I missed the, there was a a female actress and a male actor, uh, and I missed their references, and I've had a difficult time um, because this film's still not out on video uh, tracking down their credits, but Sunny Chiba, who was immediately recognizable, uh, shows up and they talk with him, and he spends a considerable amount of time on screen with Master Lee. And but a lot of it is them just sort of traipsing around Japan, um, going in between a few so-called spiritual sites, sites with heavy spiritual activity, um, and in between that, it becomes kind of a travel show, <laughs> a travel you know, kind of of these travel documentaries that you'll see on TV that are like, you know, go here and see this interesting thing and go here and shop in this district kind of thing um, that are very, very popular on TVB and and other, other, you know, cable channels as well. So uh, it doesn't really feel quite like the first one. It does have a very solid video look. They're shooting in HD um, and that does not help matters. And this is perhaps the biggest bone of contention I have with a film like this. It's like, all right, we are now in the modern era. We are not shooting on grainy film. And they know that it's not enough for them to <clears throat> say, oh, look, there's a shadow on the wall that looks like a face. That's a spirit. <laughs> you know, like they could get away with that in the in the old ones because, you know, they'd they'd do a freeze frame and it's so grainy and they circle something. And it's like, oh, that looks like a, a misty silhouette. Is that a ghost? Um, they can't do that now because they're shooting on high definition and I don't think this was in 4K but good lord I mean I'm afraid to see what they would try to to pawn off in 4K the basic thing that they do here is they go into these places they go into for example a dark cave that's got a shrine in it and Master Lee starts to go around and he starts to chant and murmur and he starts to feel you know the, the spirituality of the room or whatever And again, I don't want to sound like I'm debunking this. If this is a belief you have, more power to you. I am not a non-believer. I am not a believer. I am simply approaching this from the perspective of somebody who's trying to look at this through the use of technology as a science-based thing, you know, a camera, an HD camera, and lighting and all of that, and then trying to explain away certain phenomena with the use of that technology. Uh, which I just—they're the explanation. I don't buy it. I'm sorry, but um, so they go into this cave and they start. He starts talking about the spirits are all around and everything. And I'm they're, they're, the camera's panning around. I'm like, I—I'm not seeing anything. I'm not seeing faces on the wall. I'm not seeing uh, ghostly, misty apparitions. What, what? What is he seeing? And they stop and and they—it's these little flecks of light that are like. Flying all around the camera lens, and I'm like, "No, that's illuminated dust in the cave." I mean, it's you're, you're telling me that illuminated dust is a spirit now. It's a, you know, these the, the circles of light are the the spirits of the departed. I'm like, oh, okay, no, um, I'm I'm not. I'm I'm sorry, I'm not having it. But thankfully. That is only a small part of the film. Um, much more of the film is, again, them kind of going around to different places in Japan. They focus on, I, and forgive me, the name escapes me, but there's a famous festival in Japan where they carry, um, you know, uh, the the guys carry the pagodas on their shoulders and they um, parade through town. And it's all about phallic symbols. They have, you know, um, male phallic symbols. as ice cream and kids are buying it and, you know. Um, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's about life and sexuality and procreation, but it's not given the stigma that we give it in the West. So it's a big, you know, like public event. So they talk a little bit about that. They go to a, um, uh, a temple that's, you know, dedicated to motherhood. So all the statues, for example, have water pouring from women's breasts and and things like this. And, yeah you know it they talk a lot they talk about um, other places of interest. There's an elderly AV cinema, for example, and they convince Elena Kong and a friend to go and watch an AV movie, you know, in this cinema. They don't show anything. They just show the the two actresses kind of sitting there watching supposedly an AV movie because we don't ever actually see what they're watching. We're just seeing like reactions to it as they kind of goof and giggle away. Um, but it's, you know, it's the idea is that this is a very specific cinema that's geared for the elderly. So you have to be a senior citizen to go there and you get a discount, I guess. So, um, and so, you know, it, it's, things like that. There's a sequence where, for example, they do the classic Chinese version of the Ouija board game. If you're not familiar with the Ouija board, it's this board with, um, letters that you put out and everybody puts their hand on a a little instrument and that instrument glides across across the board to you ask a question and it glides across the board to uh give responses usually in English for the English version it just goes to letters you know it's like so if you ask the spirit what's your name it'll supposedly move to the letters of the board to spell out a name and in the Chinese version it's got Chinese characters and they they use kind of like a teacup Kind of device but it's the same premise so they get all the actors and actresses together to do a ouija board game and then um, bob lamb freaks out a little bit and like runs outside <laughs> <He> sees, <laughs> I, I, in a in a, a serious bob lamb moment, he's like i i felt something and it was very disturbing or something like that um but again a lot of that is pushed to the side as a lot of the screen time is just the actors kind of traveling around Japan, and I attributed this. It's very much like if you are watching any of the TVB travel shows. The most popular one right now is one hosted by Carol Cheng, called um, Doodoo Goes Shopping, and um, I think they're in their second or third season with that show now. And it's it's the same kind of thing. It's like she goes to Japan and goes to different districts and highlights some some cultural items. I'm like, this is all that Master Lee's doing except every once in a while he pops in and talks about, you know, these small circles of light being spirits. And so I was actually much more interested when they were just kind of doing the the travel narrative. Um, But because they bounce around back and forth between these segments, it's not not always very, very, very clear. Um, It does make reference to the first film. Um, The first film, they had this segment on fox goblins um, in this estate area, which was... Um, a pretty interesting segment for the old film, and they mention that here. But again, it never really shows us anything concrete. Um, it mentions some interviews with people, so they talk about you know interviewing like um, a monk or somebody. But we never see those in- interviews. It, it uh, mentions articles in the first film, um, but it, it shows us like you know no articles. It doesn't do a good job of sort of backing up what it's talking about in on the as, as it narrates on screen. Um, the, there are a few times when someone else is speaking or being interviewed and Master Lee's narration overdubs them, um, basically essentially saying the same thing uh, rather than kind of letting the interviewee speak and having that sort of subtitled. Uh, as I said, editing's kind of all over the play- place with these short segments added in for no apparent reason. So it's very disjointed, disconnected. It's not like there's a clear path or anything where they like, okay, we're going to start in this place in Japan and then we're going to go here and investigate this activity. And then we're going to go here to this shopping district or something. Um, you know, and, and again, a lot of it is, is that it's like, I remember they go to this one store that sells, um, red colored, everything like red color underwear and, and things because of the significance of, of red. And that's, that's about all there is to this, unfortunately. Um, they um they don't use the medium as well as they could, you know again, it being an h d um they're standard audio stingers throughout to try and give some creepy feels to stuff <laughs> you know'cause they're they're you know we're in a spooky spiritual cave, and so let's just add spooky spiritual music to kind of um throw that in um they actually have actual screams and moans on occasion in in the background sound effect to you know it's it's and it's so taken from a cheap sort of sound effects track and they play this throughout and it does very little to inspire what i would say is sadly already very dull footage um the the talks of the fox spirits and and the king of hell and all of that i think is interesting in and of itself if you just approach it from that sort of cultural aspect and you don't add that you know cheap creepy music or the cheap sound effects on top of it. Um, so, you know, I just think from the production standpoint, um, it it didn't work very well um, in, in terms of what they were going for. And the older film, the older film really is much more well put together, I would say. So, yeah, I mean, if this is something, if you're like me and this is something, you know, that is on your radar because you're interested in the shockumentary kind of uh, genre you can uh, wait for this it's not out at the time of this recording it's definitely not something you need to shell out for as a blu-ray and I'd be hard-pressed to say unless you're an absolute completionist um, you know shell out for this for even a, a DVD because there's just not that much here that's ultimately interesting a lot of the events that they're covering have been covered in other documentaries on on Japan um, you know the places they go to, so it's not really revelatory in that sense. And I mean, even the the actors and actresses that they bring along from the ride, the Hong Kong cast. I mean, like Gregory Rivers is there, and it's great to see him as always because he doesn't do a lot of work these days. But there, they have an interview segment with him where he's like talking about his dogs, and he has a very large col- collection of dogs uh, that he rescues. And he talks about his relationship with his dogs. And this is done a kind of in the context of the idea of Buddhism and spirituality in some sense. But, you know, it's not like they do that with the other actors. You know, there's no heart to heart with Bob Lamb or Jacqueline Chong. And the, the interesting thing is that when you get to the end of this film, there's some credits rolling. And you see the actors kind of touring around different places in Hong Kong and kind of joking around with each other. And that's in the end credits, and you don't see any of that in the actual film. And I'm like, that's already more entertaining, <laughs> you know. <laughs> show show me more of that. Show me more of them just goofing around while they're on tour, and uh, that would have been uh, far more entertaining than than what we're actually being given here. Um, and again, part of that I think is that uh, Master Lee's fascination with putting himself on the screen and having him overdub people he's interviewing and stuff just kind of takes up too much space for this so it's unfortunate i i was you know kind of excited about this and it was not as uh as good as i had hoped it would be and as i said you know if you are out there and you have access to things like you know the tvb app and stuff you can see this stuff on not not subtitled unfortunately but like the um uh, doodoo's uh, shopping with doodoo or doodoo go shopping series you can get on the uh, tvb app you can watch that it's far more entertaining and far more funny um than than what's going on here unfortunately that's the super normal three i don't know if we'll get a super normal four but uh as kevin tells it this is uh you know i i got to see this in the sunbeam in where was it uh, north point april or may and it it had a release date I think i want to say of february and I was like, oh, um, you know, I wonder if I'll get to see this. And I got to see it, and it's been running for weeks, and it's probably still running. And they had, I mean, the the place was just covered with promotional material for this, um, the Sunbeam Theater. So the Sunbeam is a multi-purpose theater. It's like sometimes it does like Cantonese opera stuff, as a, as like stage performance, but sometimes it has big theatrical screenings. They have like a, um, it's not a full like 180 degree screen but they've got this weird kind of extended screen that curves around that they can't really do anything with for standard movies i mean it's a big standard movie projection screen but then it's got these two other projection screens that angle off on each side of it and they had this running ad before the movie started that was kind of just showing off the system and then the movie starts and the system shuts down and it's just the standard <laughs> movie screen. But Master Lee, I guess, is invested in this in the Sunbeam somehow because I mean they were running this for months, and that's strange for any Hong Kong movie, let alone a normal film. But also, I mean, lots of his paraphernalia, books and other things that he's marketing are there on sale uh, in the, you know, in in the, at the ticket counter. So
1: masterly masterly lee, master lee owns the sunbeam that that makes yeah, sense and yeah he owns them so the film is actually still showing and i think it's gonna it's gonna, so apparently master lee announced it's gonna make like three more of these so i'm guessing that super normal free is gonna keep playing until the next one starts until all right the next
0: one is done. now now i'm excited again <laughs>
1: <laughs> no no paul uh, what are you doing? Three more of this. So six
0: <laughs> supernormal films. Like my collection will be complete. Uh. <laughs> All right, What's but what yeah. you, man? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I what I would say is that if you're going to be in Hong Kong, you know, go buy the Sunbeam and watch it.
1: <laughs> oh my god! I actually played so Sunbeam last year because they they almost exclude the big the big theater downstairs exclusively almost does Cantonese opera. It's pretty much booked year round. And then for a period last year or two years ago, they were doing. Uh, a whole week of old films, and I saw uh, Gone with the Wind there. They were showing Gone with the Wind, and that was my first time. So i just oh, it's gonna be a huge theater, and some some men It was a it was a pretty because there's a lot of uh, elderly, you know, senior citizens, and it was cool because they want to go and watch the film again and. And they all and it was packed. It was packed, like 700, 800 people uh, packed in this theater and and watching uh, a lot of them were, you know, having a big nostalgia trip. And it was it was a, very, a lot of fun for me.
0: Yeah. Well, when I was there, I was the only one <laughs> for my nostalgia <laughs> trip. And even the usher came up beforehand and to, just to make sure that I was in the right place because he was a bit confused saying this. <laughs> and he's like, why is this Guaylo watching the, the Normal 3? Um, and you no, know, he was very nice about it. Though he just, you know, he's like he wanted to make sure that I was in the right place. And I said, "Yes, sir, I am." So yeah, that's the Supernormal Three. Uh, you know, uh, watch it at your own risk. You're listening to the East Screen West Screen podcast. Visit Comcast.com for more. And you have been listening to the East Screen West Screen podcast. Our theme music was composed by Rob Jabor of Schnauzer Radio Orchestra. Research comes from a variety of sources, but primarily HKfilm.com and the Hong Kong movie Day Base. We also get a tremendous amount of moral support from listeners like you. If you would like to be part of the show, please do get in touch with us via the website at congcast.com. You can email us at EastScreen at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at Concast, and you can find us on Facebook at East S West S. As always, please do follow along with Mister Ma in all that he does. As Sir, where can they find out more about you?
1: You can follow me on Twitter. I am at the Golden Rock. That's one word, the Golden Rock. I am pretty active there because all oh, I have time for really. Um, I'm also the editor, uh, entertainment editor of Silk Road and Discovery magazines on Cathay Dragon and Cathay Pacific Airways. Um, so this month, uh, July is coming up, and I wrote about. Um, Love, Simon, and Blockers, and also um, what I write about for World Film Club. I see, I, it's weird, because, you know, you work on these magazines so early up ahead in the cycle that you always forget when that month actually arrives. You don't actually remember what you've written about. Um, it's not the White Girl. The White Girl was in June. Um, gosh, what was the ad- what did I write about for the Art House? I swear I'll figure it out. <laughs> Do Speaking it of out?
0: the White Girl, um, one thing we did forget to mention because I know we talked about it briefly I think in our last episode was the sad and unfortunate passing of uh, Anthony Bourdain which was really a shock because it was like just a few days after his Hong Kong episode uh, was released it's it's part of the uh, Parts Unknown series that he's in collaboration with for CNN and that is I want to say season 11 episode 5 have you gotten to see that Kevin?
1: I did. I did um my DVR did. Um I was looking forward to it a lot. Um because, you know, it was shot by mostly shot by Christopher Doyle. Um and it was directed by Asia Argento. Ag- um of course, I wasn't aware that he was even in town doing this. Um but yeah, no, no I knew I knew it was um I knew he was here and I watched it. Of course I was very excited to see the episode, yeah.
0: Yeah, it's I mean, if you're a fan of Hong Kong at all, I would urge you to you know, track it down and watch it. It's a very interesting look at not just food. I mean, he they really kind of delve into some of the politics and, and other stuff. If you're a fan of Hong Kong, I would urge you to track it down and watch it. And um, it's, it's really just sad and shocking that um, that happened. Because, I mean, I'm not a big uh, food guy. I don't consider myself a foodie. But one of the things that my wife and I have always tried to do is that anytime we'd go somewhere new whether we went to Singapore or we've been, you know, other places we've been in the United States, is we always looked and say, well, where did, you know, has Anthony Bourdain ever covered anything in the area that we should go check out? And we always tried to kind of follow along in in his footsteps if he had any places that he recommended. So I'm sure he was, you know, much more influential for a lot of people out there. But again, if you're not somebody who follows food stuff, Um, or food shows, but you're interested in Hong Kong, it's definitely worth your while to go check out um, those three episodes. Yeah, so please do keep up with Kevin and all that he's doing. Um, And also check out our friends over at the podcast on Fire Network. Uh, Kevin recently guest-hosted on episode 267, which at the time of this recording was recently released, where they talked about um... Anna and the King. Anna and the King and uh, 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 the Stephen Chow movie. Um... Forbidden City Cop. Forbidden City Cop. I, I keep wanting to go to the Louis Koo one. Um, it's not that one. Yeah, And uh, that's a very excellent episode where they get into some deep, deep talking, especially about the Stephen Chow film. So please do check that out. Our next episode is going to be episode 258. So I'm not sure what we'll have on the agenda. Um, I've been doing a lot of deep diving into some of the Amazon uh, original Japanese shows of late, um, including Sion Sono's Tokyo Vampire Hotel, which I finished up. Um, I might talk about that. I finished a, there's also a documentary that's been floating around that I watched called Tokyo Idols and another one from a couple years ago called, uh, Love and Sex in Japan, which are all kind of somewhat related. Um, so I might talk about one of those. I'm not sure. Um, Kevin, any idea what's on your radar?
1: Oh, um, so the Renee Liu film, the super hit romance, uh, Us and Them, her directorial debut, um, Huge Huge Hit in China, um, is now available on Netflix worldwide. So um, if I can finish that before I come back from Taipei, hopefully I would be able to uh, We can talk about that. And um, of course, you know, I, I I still highly suggest Tokyo Girl, um, the show on Amazon. I think that's a far, far superior show to the Shion Sono show.
0: Mm-hmm. Alright, so we'll be talking about something, so all of that and more on our next show. Until then, this is the East Green West Green podcast saying, may the supernormal be with you, or not, and we'll see you next time.
1: See you next time, everybody.